Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. From the beginning of time, it seems the way that humans have made sense of the world around us is through stories. We can think of some of the great stories that have been told and passed down from generation to generation. Stories like the Iliad or the Odyssey, uh, which of course didn't originate in written form, but were actually performed and recited orally. As individuals, we often think of our lives in terms of story, in terms of autobiography, accounts of where we've come from. We may not write them out as such, but we would certainly tell someone about how we got to where we are through a narrative arc. We also tell stories about our communities to help us understand how they developed. Now, of course, the tricky thing about stories is they inculcate in us a certain way of thinking about their subjects. So it's probable that if you told your life story that you would not only be the main character, but also the protagonist. But in someone else's story, you may not be the protagonist. It's very easy when thinking about our individual life stories to self-justify ourselves by ignoring the perspectives of others or by rationalizing everything that we do. So part of the power of stories is that they inspire us to act in a certain way. They shape our present. Now, given how connected we are through television, the internet, and social media, we're always being told certain stories. Now, we tailor the stories that we hear because we like to consume media that we agree with. So we select certain news channels, certain online media outlets, and certain social media groups that tell us what we want to hear. But based on the media we consume, we're constantly absorbing elements of these stories that our culture is telling us. Regardless of our political affiliation or our religious uh, alignment, our dominant culture tells us a number of stories and we can isolate those themes. First, we're told that the world is a constant struggle between us versus them. The them can be people who think differently than we do about religion or politics or who look or talk differently than we do. We're taught very early on to find our tribe and define ourselves over and against those who are different. A second theme that we're taught through these stories is that individual autonomy is the most important virtue, that it doesn't matter what we choose so much as that we get to choose. This allows us to put the self first, especially before the them. And finally, we're told that they, whoever they are, pose an existential threat to us and must be neutralized. That can be through violence, but it can also be through a softer form of resistance like silencing or canceling. The good news is that Christianity has broken into the world to tell us a new story to tell us a different story. It's a story that brings us together around the common core of the gospel, a story that humanizes us and reminds us of the humanity of others. It's a story that teaches us to love our enemies even in the heat of persecution. 
It's a story that often runs counter to what we expect, especially if we've been enculturated by those stories of our dominant culture. He was wrong, but at least the 19th century philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche understood how the story that we as humans like to tell ourselves is incompatible with the Christian story. He dismissed Christianity, calling it a slave religion because it cared for everyone, including the weak and the poor. When the world encounters the story that we tell, it, la- it reacts in three different ways. Either it lashes out in violence or it stands gawking at what it deems unintelligible, or it has to convert because of the power of the Holy Ghost working in the hearts of the hearers. The next few weeks will constitute what will be a sermon series of sorts because we'll be in Romans chapters 12 and 13. And if we had to give a title to this series, we might call it Living Sacrifices, Living into the Christian Story. Today, the first part of our series, we focus on how our identity as living sacrifices, as Paul says early in Romans 12, impacts our lives together as the church. Last week with Ephesians chapter 3, we saw how the gospel according to St. Paul entailed the integration of people groups as disparate as Jews and Gentiles into a singular organism, that is the church. This is the same theme of the book of Romans. In the first three chapters of Romans, Paul makes it clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In chapter one, he focuses on how Gentiles are sinners. And you can imagine his Jewish audience was cheering him on as he did this. In chapter two, however, he turns the spotlight towards his Jewish listeners He reminds them that the Jews in the Old Testament could not fulfill the law that God had given them. And so in chapter 3, he expands his focus to reiterate that everyone, regardless of their ethnicity, stands condemned before God because of their sin. In chapters 4 through 8, he then shows us how we can escape that condemnation. He shows us that we're rescued by the incarnation of our Lord, who dies for us. That salvation is given to us when we have faith, a gift that we receive through baptism that's imparted to us by God's love. In Romans chapters 9 through 11 then, Paul applies this theological reality to the issue of Jew and Gentile relations. We are all members of the church, and there is an inherent equality between all Christians because we are in Christ. Beginning at chapter 12 to the end of the book, Paul then turns his focus to ethics. How should we then live? How should Christians behave in light of this gospel? And so he lays a foundation for us in the first five verses of chapter 12. Paul opens the section by reiterating the location of all Christians, whether they're Jewish or Gentile, they are in Christ. Paul says, for of him and through him and to him are all things. As the church, then, we respond to what God has done for us in the continual presentation of the cross to his father by presenting ourselves as living sacrifices 
In effect, we take that moment where Christ offered himself on the cross and we bring it into our present moment by reproducing it in our various contexts. And if we do this, Paul tells us, then we are not conformed to this world because we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds. We must tell ourselves new stories. What is the lens whereby we understand the story that we participate in? Paul tells us in verses 4 to 5 of chapter 12, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members of another. So the vision here is unity in diversity, different parts joined to the same body. Within the body of Christ, the church, God has, by his grace, bestowed gifts upon various members. The list of gifts in Romans is by no means exhaustive, but they share a common theme in that all the ones he lists here are ministerial in nature. This doesn't mean that they belong exclusively to the clergy, but rather they're given to all Christians so that all of us can contribute to the upbuilding of the church. And the goal of that upbuilding is twofold. First, it's to build a stronger, thicker community that's built around the faith, but also it's outward focused. It's a community that replicates itself, which we do by passing our faith along, not only to our children, but also to outsiders. And we invite them to join themselves to it. So the seven gifts that he lists, first, there's prophecy, which is words of exhortation to the church on the foundation of scripture and the deposit of faith that the church has received. The second is ministry, which is service of others, what we saw at Riva Trace on Thursday night. The third is teaching, which is catechesis. The fourth is exhortation, which is in words, which is words encouraging and motivating others to be faithful. The fifth is generosity, which is giving liberally to the poor and to the mission of the church. The sixth is ruling with diligence, which has to do with community leadership. And finally, he says that we should show mercy, which is working with the poor and the marginalized. None of these gifts are more important than any of the other gifts, but all are necessary for the church to live out its vocation. All of these gifts are avenues whereby the church tells the story of redemption that God has given it. Binding all these gifts together should be the virtue of love. Whatever your individual gift is, it's a way to express a love without dissimulation, as the King James puts it, or as a more modern translation might put it, love without hypocrisy. To demonstrate what love in action looks like, Paul provides us with a series of doublets, a series of one-two punches. Love leads to the avoidance of evil and the cleaving to what is good. Love causes us to act kindly in a sort of brotherly love while showing preference to the other. Love doesn't allow us to become slothful or lazy, but provides us with fervency. Love always love allows us to have hopeful joy, patience during tribulation, and prayer in all things. Love pushes us to give and to be hospitable. 
Love enables us to bless our persecutors instead of cursing them or retaliating. Love makes us rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. In that ministry of presence, we bear each other's burdens. Love provides us with a common mind and a deference to the lowly. Love doesn't allow us to retaliate in a tit-for-tat manner, but is an impetus for honest and honorable conduct. At the end of the day, the stories that we tell ourselves matter. And here at St. Paul's, we immerse ourselves in the story of redemption. We do that through the enactment of the liturgy, which is a drama from start to finish. We do that through receiving the sacraments, whereby our Lord becomes present with us in a unique way. We do that through Bible study, where we encounter our Lord in his written word. But all of these things, all the liturgical reenactments, The sacramental representations, the Bible studies, are empty routines if we don't really and truly inhabit this story. As Christians, our calling is to love. The question is, how do we demonstrate the love that was shown to us in Jesus Christ our Lord? What gifts can we offer? What part in this unfolding drama can we play? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.